and welcome to the Please Be Seated podcast. Today, for a very special episode, I'm joined by Colton Burpo. Colton, could you tell our audience who you are? Please? Yeah. So, as Luke said, my name is Colton Burpo. I currently live in Colorado in the United States, but the reason why I'm on the show is because back in 2014, there was a movie made about the book that's based on my life called Heaven is for Real. And the whole idea of the story is when I was three, about ready to turn four back in 2003, I had a near-death experience where I went to heaven and I came back and I tell people about it. And that's basically what our story is. We just get to talk with people about heaven. And um, one of the things which I uh, touched on quite a bit when I was chatting with your dad, which mm -hmm. I will somehow mix and edit at some point <laughs> with this right. one, um, was uh, how, as a Christian film, mm -hmm. quite often I find them over the top and cheesy, but there was something mm -hmm. about the way that Heaven is Real was done that made it different. Mm -hmm. And whether that was because it was a director who came from a background of not making the Christian films and how he had the... Mm -hmm. the it, it wasn't a preacher trying to make a film. It was mm -hmm. a film director making a film he was passionate about. And that is quite a noticeable difference. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... I, I find it a really wonderful and sweet and amazing story. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so how did you find uh, the kid they got to play you? I have his name on my notes and I can't find it. His name's Connor Corum. <laughs> and... One interesting fact about the director, uh, Randall Wallace, before he even went into film school, the cool thing about him is he was actually in seminary school studying to become a preacher. But then he felt God call him, no, I want you to make films. So it was cool because we got to talk with him through that process because, yeah, he's made movies like Braveheart, Pearl Harbor, Secretariat, and then Heaven is for Real. So... That was cool. And we got to hang out with him a little bit when we were doing um, interviews for the movie. But Connor Corum, um, he, is, he was a kid from Ohio that when they gave out a casting call for basically someone to play Colton in Heaven is For Real, they went all around the country. So East Coast in the Midwest, middle of our country, in the West Coast, and they were trying to find kids. And with Connor, it was interesting because when he initially tried out, he didn't get a second call. Like, the reason why he was kind of overlooked the first time is because he was so young. Because at least in Hollywood, there are certain labor laws determined by your age. And I think since he was a five-year-old, he could only work about three hours a day. But if he became a six-year-old, he could work six hours a day. So they were trying to find a six-year-old to play me. And the person who was doing the casting kind of didn't even consider Connor because he was five. But through a, basically a turn of events, the director, Randall Wallace, he actually found Colton's audition, or Connor's audition, and really liked it and called his mom and was just like, hey, sorry for not getting back to you. Um, we do think that 
we've narrowed it down to two kids, but we would like you and your son to come out and just experience it because it'd be good experience for him. So they flew out to California and when these last two kids did like the test screening, they just, the only way how I've heard it described is they just bombed it. Like those two kids didn't do well. So the director and everybody there was just like, crap, what do we do? And in there was Connor. And then they were like, well, we have one other kid here. So he basically walked up, he did his audition and he got the part. And the cool thing about Connor is I've been able to kind of meet him and talk with him a little bit outside of filming and everything. And it's kind of cool, but also kind of scary because he really is like a mini me. Like in the movie, he wasn't acting. So he's just as passionate about superheroes today. Um, And just that chemistry that he had with Greg Kinnear, the guy who played my dad. um, We were told that there would be times where the two of them, instead of continuing to film or continuing to to do a shot, they would just hang out instead, or they would do something because they thought it was fun. So yeah. Yeah, and I think you can definitely see that chemistry on screen. Like it's it's wonderful. Um, so to go into the opening scene of the film, I feel like I'm gonna butcher her name up. Right? Is it, we got Akiana? Is it painting Jesus at the start? Yeah. Um, and obviously that painting of Jesus is a very prominent part towards the latter part of uh, the book and obviously of your story. Um, so how did you first come about that picture? So it was a few years before our book came out in 2010 where one of my dad's friends saw an interview of Akiana Kramerik. Um, she's from the Ukraine and the painting was the Prince of Peace and she painted it when she was eight years old. So yeah, that's pretty awesome because at 20 I'm still drawing stick figures or like not great sketches. So um, what happened is one of my dad's friends saw the interview. Um, it might've been on CNN back in the day, but basically they were like, Hey, there's this girl that said, she's seen Jesus. She painted a picture and she sounds a lot like Colton. Why don't you check it out? So he emailed a link to the video to my dad. My dad watched it. Basically after he watched the whole video, he's like, okay. So then he brought me into our office at home and was like, Colton, watch this. And I must have been eight, seven, eight or nine, somewhere in there, because I was a bit older. But basically he brought me into the room, had me watch it. And when the picture of Jesus finally came up, he was like, Colton, what's wrong with this picture? Um, And the reason why he was asking me that is Since my dad is a pastor, I've been to many funeral homes, I've been to many nursing homes, I've been to many hospitals, and there's pictures of Jesus everywhere. And since I've seen Jesus, I would describe to my dad, yeah, this is what Jesus looks like. He's got brown hair, he's got a brown beard, he's got these beautiful bluish green eyes. He's got a smile brighter than any that I've ever seen. And... I would always tell my dad, yeah, when I pray, I see a face. And my dad was just kind of like, well, I want to see that face. 
So basically, every time we saw a picture of Jesus, we would walk up and my dad would go, is this what he looked like? And I would say, no, his hair's wrong. No, his eyes are the wrong color. And eventually my dad just changed the question to Colton, what's wrong with this picture? Because there would always be something wrong with the picture. But finally, when we came across the Prince of Peace, I remember I looked at it and I don't know how many times my dad asked me, Colton, what's wrong with this picture? But finally he said, Colton, are you going to answer me? And I went, Dad, that's right. And the really amazing thing about this picture is if anybody has problems with, like, my story about seeing Jesus or going to heaven because my dad is a pastor, all they have to do is look at Akiana's story because I think her dad didn't believe in anything at all. I think he was agnostic. And then her mom was an atheist. And then Jesus, when she was four years old, just showed up to her in visions. And the cool thing about this painting or this picture is with how long our book has been out. It's been in the middle of our book. And it's coming up on being nine years old. In the movie, that's five years old. We've had this picture all around the world now. And so far, to my knowledge, we've only had maybe one person write in saying that's not what Jesus looked like. But then later in the letter, they claim to be Jesus. So I don't I don't think that's a credible source. But we've had hundreds, if not thousands of people write in and say, hey, I've seen Jesus too. And that's what he looks like. And it's been awesome because, yeah, we've had a lot of people say, I've seen him too. Um, so then we move on to uh, Todd's narration about heaven uh, whilst fixing the garage door, training the wrestling team, and then we go to the uh, choir group where you've got Todd howling with Colton. Uh, oh, I always, I always find it odd now when I'm reading my notes as to whether I say with you because it's not you, but it is you. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that's a sort of wonderful introduction to Colton's character, really, to go to the howling outside because you really get a real, like, family dynamic oh yeah and even though that was something that was created for the movie that is something we would do in real life um and that's the thing that i really do enjoy about just how the characters are written in the movie because they're real people like um of course with connor playing me and then that relationship he has with the actor that plays my dad, Greg, it's just awesome to see because my dad and my relationship is very much like that. Yeah, and um, so we go, then we've got a scene of, as you sort of touched on before, of uh, Colton and Todd going into the hospital to pray for a dying man. And so I was that something that you were involved with at that age or was that something that didn't come until you were older? <clears throat> it did. So with just how my dad was or how my family was a lot of the times one of us kids was with my dad whenever he went to go do stuff um and especially when he went to go pray with people in hospitals whenever he went to go see people that weren't feeling great um a lot of times he would go by himself but occasionally he would bring one of us kids along just because i'm not really sure the reason but we just kind of grew up around that. 
And especially after I had my heaven experience, that actually became something really cool where he would take me and I would kind of take over the conversation where I would just start talking about heaven with people. And yeah. Was that a, a major comfort to a lot of people or did you, they sort of find it odd hearing so much told from a child? Um, Mainly a comfort because since they heard it from a kid, there wasn't really any agenda. It was just, hey, this is what I saw. If they knew who Jesus was, it's like, yeah, this is what heaven's going to be like. And it ends up giving them this peace that they're like, okay. And not only that, but it gives the family peace because they're like, okay, now we know what grandpa, now we know what grandma, or now we know what our family member is going to be doing or what it's going to be like. Uh, that is wonderful. Um, and now to sort of skim over the next couple of points, we've got a we see Todd um, preaching a sermon about lion and the unicorn, and we then see Sonia giving Michael and Rosa a little girl's dress. Um, and once again, like the the fact that Randall Wallace has told the story from someone who has so much experience in film and narrative structure, like it's great. I mean, obviously, with it being a true story, it's an it's odd to talk about narrative structure, but the idea that it sort of fits in with um there's this thing which i was always taught which is you know if you see a gun in act one it's fired by act five and i think that's sort of quite present in terms of the the foreshadowing of the dress you know it's a it's something that's present there um and definitely a lot better and brings a lot more enjoyment upon rewatch of the film as well to notice and see these little things coming through um, then we move on to see sort of your dad's uh, ish, trials, as he, I believe, refers to them in the book, with uh, breaking the leg and getting kidney stones, and obviously it was removed from the film. The whole cancer scare as well. So, oh, uh, it was in the, it was in the movie, but it was just like a brief scene where he was just kind of sitting in the hospital. Pretty sure. Okay, I, I. That might be a difference in the UK cut or something as well, then, I guess. Maybe. I or if it's not in there, but I, it's been a while since I've watched it. I know I've watched it somewhere between 10 or more times, but I don't remember the last time I watched it, to be honest. Yeah, it, it must be weird to sort of watch your story <laughs> being it told is. in front of you. Yeah. I mean, when our book first came out... um. One thing that I'm trying to teach myself to be is to be a reader. Like, there's really only one book that I read consistently, and that's the Bible. Besides that, it's hard for me to pick up a book and just read it cover to cover unless it's a comic book. So, when Heaven is For Real first came out, I literally had to be sat down, and my dad's like, Colton, you're going to read this. And at the time, I was 11, and I was like, why? I lived it. That didn't go over too well. So I eventually got to read the story because the reason why my dad was like, no, you need to read it is because people are going to ask you questions based on the story. So yeah. to be able to understand where they're coming from, you need to read it. And it was interesting reading your own story, but not from your perspective. Yeah. I remember your your dad touched upon the whole how hard it was for you to sort of hear of all the tough things they were going through while you were having the time of your life. Like I can't imagine how <laughs> tough that would uh, come across. 
Um, so then while Todd's away, we, we get this sort of comical scene of other preachers being tested out while he, while he's away. There's, I suppose, a bit of light comic relief um, before the, the Crawlerseum in Denver, which is uh, near enough where the book starts, isn't it, I think? Um, it's around where it picks yeah. up because right after we went to the Butterfly Pavilion, that's when everything kind of yeah. went to crap. Um, but yeah, before then, even with everything my dad was going through, from a lot of his pastor buddies, he was actually nicknamed Pastor Job, which if you know anything about the Bible, Job just had a hard time in life. Just had a lot of things happen to him, and yeah. I, I always find it weird. I mean, I understand it, but I also find it kind of weird when people struggle with developing a faith because of how much how many troubles they've had. And it's like, you know, he, he never said it was going to be easy. And I think that's that's what people sort of feel like, I don't know, f- feel like it should be. But, I mean, like, e- even biblically, you know, when Joseph was closest to God was when he was in prison accused of a rape he didn't do. And that's, you know, that's not what they teach you in Sunday school, is it? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, um... So then we've got this this scene where you and Cassie become sick and then you stay unwell and get rushed into hospital uh, with a ruptured appendix. And this scene obviously skims over all of the hassle that actually happened in the hospital beforehand with... Yeah, they ended up taking me to the hospital that was in our town, um, Imperial, Nebraska. They actually took me to that hospital twice and they were like, something is wrong with our son but since my sister got better they're like oh he's just got the stomach bug he'll be okay in a few days and after the second time they did that because cassie was fine by now but yeah after the second time they're like no something is wrong so that's when they made the drive to north platte which when you come from a town of two thousand people there's always a bigger city with like better stuff, more options, a better hospital. So North Platte was basically the nearest one to us. And it was about an hour and a half, hour 45 to get there. But just like it was in the movie where you basically see like my parents speeding to the hospital, that that was yeah. true. Um, And as well, you're in hospital that we then have Todd yelling at God and uh, Sonia speaking on the phone and this quite heartwarming scene of everyone praying for your recovery um, and then you come out of surgery and there's you talk about wanting to hold the spider um, yeah that's a little bit different yeah. from real life um, so either because of how much my sister was nagging me on just like don't you want a sticker don't you want a sticker just like a great older sister would um before we left the butterfly pavilion the first time i held rosie the tarantula and got my sticker but they i think they added that in afterwards just to kind of give the audience that ah he finally got to do it But yeah, in real life, no. Right when I was coming out of surgery, I was starting to talk with my dad about heaven. And 
I think one of the things I said was, Dad, did you know I almost died? And, of course, my dad didn't want to have this conversation with me. So he was like, no, you need to get better. Because I was in the hospital for 17 days. And after that first surgery, they didn't even stitch me back up because they didn't think I was going to make it. Like, it took two surgeries to get out all the junk from my body. And then not only that, I was just there for a long time. But I do remember that when I went in, or the one thing my mom talks about a lot is during that whole time she was talking with friends and family because on my mom's side of the family, basically her dad is a preacher, her younger brother and younger sister are both pastors, um, and we were connected with a lot of people because my dad was also a pastor, so... My mom was trying to get me on basically as many prayer chains or trying to get as many people praying for me as possible. And one thing that was really cool about my hometown is there was like people from even different churches that they just gathered together and started praying for me. And what they prayed for, of course, was like my for me to get better, but specifically um, after all my surgeries... The thing that they had to pray for was so I could pass gas and use the restroom because that would mean I'm back to I'm back to normal. So they were praying for that. And my parents are basically like, yeah, it was crazy because one night nobody wanted to give us hope. Nobody wanted to tell us anything. And then we had everybody pray for you and then pass gas. You went to the bathroom next morning. You were up and playing like a normal kid. And apparently a lot of nurses and a lot of doctors were just like, what happened? And I think my dad even talks about how one nurse pulled him aside and was like, we weren't supposed to give you hope or anything. Like, your son wasn't supposed to make it. Like, how? <laughs> I mean, that, that that's just an incredible. Um, and then we've got... Uh, We've got a, couple, a scene with you telling Todd about your visits to heaven and about what him and Sonia were doing at the time, which is another one of those sort of inexplainable <laughs> things, other than if we take your story into account, obviously. And um, and then we have we've go straight to Todd and Sonia having money trouble and talking about the angels, and then you say that you've, they've got to pay the doctor. Um, yeah. I I think that's that's almost written as like I'm trying to think is is that the scene where you mention Jesus again or is that I'm trying to... that was a scene where I think I was talking with or my parents were doing something in the room my sister was hula hooping and I was messing with her and then they were talking about just all the bills that they had to pay just because that's real life like the fact that um with pastors they don't really get paid well like that's part of the reason why my dad had the garage door company that he owned because he was like i want to be able to support my family but the fact that he was out of work for 
those months for his broken leg because he couldn't climb a ladder and install garage doors. So the fact that he was out of work, that really did put some stress on my parents. But in that scene, when they were talking about medical bills, hospital bills, um, I think my character just comes up and goes, you need to pay Dr. O'Halloran because Jesus used him to fix me. And I think that was one thing that my parents were like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, we believe that. But I would just say stuff like that all the time. And I think it took my parents about four to six months after my surgery to basically go, something happened in the hospital. Because I would just say stuff like that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would get in trouble where my parents would be like, Colton, you know better. And I'm like, yeah, <sighs> Jesus told me not to do that. My parents are just kind of sitting there like, well, yeah, yeah. And they were just thinking, man, our Sunday school teachers are awesome. Like, we need to get them something. But finally, when I was, we were driving to South Dakota to see my cousin who was just born. Uh, this was my mom's younger brother, their first kid. So we were on our way to South Dakota and we ended up driving through North Platte. And that's when we had kind of a talk where my dad was joking, Colton, you want to go back to the hospital? Because we drove by it. And I was like, no, send Cassie. And of course, my sister's like, I don't want to go. And then finally, I just went, but that's where the angels sang to me. And both my parents, that was kind of them finally, okay, something happened in the hospital. And... Yeah, so the other thing about the movie, and since you've read the book, I'm not sure how much you may remember from it, but the book, that does take place over roughly seven years, because yeah. from when I had my experience to when the book came out, it was seven years. Even though with this story, we focused a lot on the early years, we had seven years to kind of work through it, talk about it, and in the movie... They had to condense that timeline down into about two months because if they were to actually do it seven years, you'd be sitting there for hours watching yeah. basically a documentary. And I suppose it was so and, – and you sort of see it in the portrayal in the film, but you're so sort of matter-of-fact about it all at that age. Um, so I suppose – I mean do you recall much of those times yourself now or is it all sort of just from talking about it? <laughs> A decent amount of it, of like conversations I've had with people, is because I've talked about it. Um, with my memories of heaven, those are a little bit different. Just because um, some of them are because I've talked about it. That does keep it pretty fresh in your memory. Yeah. But the other thing that I always tell people is there are things that God's allowed me to remember. There's things that he has kind of let me forget. Like, I used to be able to tell people the names of all the kids I played with in heaven. Now, not so much. Um, names are something I'm working on. Uh, but, like, the best way how I can describe how my memories are 
about heaven is similar to, let's say you and your family go on a road trip or you guys go on a vacation and you go to this really big theme park. And what happens is when you're at the theme park, the next day afterwards, you remember all the food you ate, all the smells, all the feelings, all the rides. And then three months later, you're like, oh, that was fun. But some of it you don't remember as vividly. And then a year later, if you were to go back, it's like, oh, I kind of remember this. Oh, this was fun. So kind of like that. Some of my memories have faded over time, but there's a few that they stick, and those are the ones that I talk about and share with a lot. I mean, do you ever have bits and thoughts and memories that sort of come out now, or do you think it's you've sort of all you, you've still? So you haven't like talked and wrote written everything. There's still more and stuff that that come through since. So with the stuff that we put in the book and the stuff that we had in the movie, it's basically. Those are the stuff that I'm 100% solid on. Because if there was anything that I was like a little bit fuzzy on, or like, I don't know, we didn't include it in the book, and I don't really talk about it because I I basically don't want to lie to people. Like, I want to give people the truth about what I saw. And in order to do that, we had to make sure to be very careful with what we allowed and what we didn't allow. But the cool thing, and this is just a thing where I tell people, well, this is God, and God does what he wants. Because there have been times where I actually remember new things, or I remember things from heaven, and then I talk about it like I've known it all along. And they're like, you've never shared that before. And I'm like, really? Huh. Cool. Um, so that we actually see briefly in the film your image of heaven. How much would you say that holds up to it, or... Um, Not really. So, I will say, in the movie, um, there's really two things about the movie as a whole that my family is like, eh, I don't know. One of them is probably a thing later you may talk about, but the scene where my parents are having a picnic on top of the fire truck, yeah. that would never happen in real life. Like, my dad would get kicked off the fire department, probably fined. Um, and that was one thing where we actually got to read the script before they started filming anything. And it was a conversation that happened on the back porch of the house. But yeah, that was kind of a cheeky Hollywood thing they added in last minute. And we're just like, well, we can't really do anything about that. But um, that's like one of the main things about the film where we're like, yeah, that's not true. But everything else we're like, this is good for me personally with all the scenes about heaven, I think for never seeing or experiencing it, they did a good job, Yeah. but heaven is so much better than that. And one thing that they did change in the movie is either because of the budget because of storytelling having to make it all make sense what they ended up having me do was when i lifted out of my body they had me walk to the church and then after i walked in the church i interacted with angels and then i met jesus which what happened in real life 
is as the doctors were working on me, I lifted out of my body. I was freaking out. I had no idea what was going on to me because I could see the doctors working on me. I could see my mom in one room on the phone talking with people, praying. I could see my dad in another room, and he was praying very loudly at God. And what happened was I was sitting on Jesus' lap. The cool thing is, is Jesus was the first person I saw. And that's why no one gets lost on the way to heaven, because Jesus is the way. And I was sitting on his lap, and he had angels around him sing to me to calm me down, because I was freaking out. I had no idea what was going on. And then after Jesus had calmed me down, he had one of his angels fly me to heaven. And that's how I got there. Um, and like I, It might just be being from the perspective of reading the book but i sort of get why they showed your image of heaven but i don't think it was needed like i feel i don't know it felt a little bit out of place and it might just be because that's something which i you know everyone's got their own vision of it through reading it i suppose and um one thing which sort of took me as a, as a slight criticism to the film is when you asked the angels about singing mm. we will rock you like I don't know the, the the way they laugh in the film feels like they're laughing at you, and it just it doesn't seem well right there. there. <laughs> that was a legit question I asked. Like I did ask them, "Can you sing We Will Rock You?" Because when they were singing to me to calm me down, they sang like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jesus loves me, just good songs. And then I was like, "Can you sing We Will Rock You?" And I was basically told, "No, it's a bad song," and I'm like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I was say, I remember reading that from the book, but it was just seeing it in the film, and the the way they laugh just made me think that didn't seem quite right. But that that's like my my main criticism in watching it, and so I'm, I just thought I'd bring that up. Um, so then we've got um, Todd seeing a counselor about your visions of heaven, uh, which I believe he said was a and sort of added on. Yeah, we didn't actually do that, um, but. With how they set up the movie is they wanted us or they wanted my dad to interact with people from different backgrounds, like talking with people. Well, my son had this trip to heaven and just kind of talking through all these all these characters, all these people, because the um, therapist that he went to go see, she was an atheist. So. Yeah. We basically use that as a jumping on point for maybe someone doesn't even believe in God. And then you say, hey, my son's been to heaven. I don't even believe in heaven. I know, but my son saw it. Like he's telling me stuff that there's no way he could have known. So we did that in order to kind of open up more conversations. And just throughout the film, different characters that my dad has conversations with it's not really real life conversations, but more of, okay, you kind of identify with this character or you kind of believe similar to them. What would you do if someone you know, their kid went to heaven, came back? How would you respond to it? And that's kind of how we were yeah. setting it up. And I think it it works incredibly well in, in that sense. And it, I think that's one of the things that makes it sort of non-cheesy where it it doesn't tell the viewers what to believe it sort of it it shows everyone's views on it and sort of leaves you to make the decision yourself which i i'm pretty sure most people who you know watch it do believe but i think it's 
it's it's sort of a a nice way where it's not force feeding you whereas so many uh you know low budget tv christian movies seem to be um which i mean i think those sort of christian films are um like the, the there's in the low budget tv one you know there, there are interesting to christians but i i whenever i watch a christian film i always try and look at it from the perspective of someone who was agnostic or atheist and see and try and imagine what their perception is and unfortunately with so many of them i feel like it it would more hinder their faith than help but i think this one definitely would help yeah that's one of the prayers that we did have just making the movie we were like god this is your movie you know how to reach people and we just basically were like god you're gonna bring the right people to it you're gonna help make this movie reach a lot of people and just by how our movie was kind of made all the little things that had to happen in order for it to be made like it was made by sony which sony doesn't really make a lot of christian movies so the fact that it was made by not really a christian company but one of the people that we interacted with a lot was devon franklin and i think he's still in this position if not then oh well but at the time he was the vice president of sony and he's a christian so we got to interact with him a lot and it was just cool to see that god has people where he needs them yeah, I mean, the, the, the team that you managed to gather for the film from, you know, the directors, the cinematographers to having people like Greg Kinnear and Kelly Riley, like, it's it's incredible what uh, what came together out of it, really. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so then we've got a scene where Todd then asks Jay for advice and then people start asking Todd in church about uh, your story. Um, was that something which sort of... Did, did that happen quite a lot during services, or was that something that, that was added? Well, what would tend to happen is basically um, people would come up to my dad, and they would say, did you know what your son just told me? Because I was probably a four-year-old at the time, and I was just telling people, hey, this is what I saw in heaven. Hey, this is what heaven is like. And just very matter-of-fact, very plain, just telling people, yeah, this is what I saw. And then people would come up to my dad like, do you know what your son just told me? And my dad would just go, no, what did he say this time? <laughs> like, So the cool thing about heaven is for real is when people may say, no, nah, it's, it's a hoax, it's made up. We've had, or we have about 2,000 witnesses where... The, yeah. We've had people who were there that prayed for me, saw me get better, and saw me start sharing about heaven. Like, we have those people, and even with my classmates in high school, or just school, because I went to a school about, it was a K-12 through school, so all of my classmates, I graduated with a class of, I think, 44, yeah, 44 and at least like 38 of them I've been with since kindergarten so like we grew up together and it was cool because a lot of them they were even like no Colton wasn't lying you know Colton's telling the truth like 
It's just very matter of fact. And it was nice because since I grew up with them and they were there at the start and then growing up to when Heaven is for Real kind of took off, I didn't really get any special treatment or I didn't really get picked on at school either. It was just, oh yeah, Colton's been to heaven. He goes and talks with people about it. That's pretty cool. But I was just Colton to them. Um, so how did you um, manage to face all of the sort of criticisms and claims against it? Like, has that been a struggle? At times, yes. Um, just because for my family and I, it was almost like we stepped out and we, we felt like God saying, okay, I want you to share this story. I want you to talk about it with people. And my dad's initial response was no. And I'm not sure if he talked about that with you a little bit, but yeah, for a, a while, my dad's answer was no, I'm not going to do that. And his reason was he wanted to protect me because he's like, I've seen what happens to like child stars, kids that get famous that then just kind of fall off later in life. And he was like, I don't want that for my son. And finally, through some convincing, God finally had my dad talk with the right people and we started making the book. And one of the harder things for me is at the beginning, I was completely oblivious to criticism. Like I didn't care or I didn't really look at a lot of it just because that wasn't a major thing for me. Um, but as I've grown up, just kind of becoming more aware of people that have said things about our story, people that have said things about my family, about me, um, I will say it was a bit hard for a little bit, especially around the time the movie was coming out because I was now 14. I was a freshman in high school trying to kind of figure out life. And at 14, I had about four books written just making fun of our story or poking fun at that uh we've had plenty of people a lot of them from actually inside like the church or inside christianity basically trying to debunk or say nah this story's fake there's no way it could have been real and just the fact that a lot of people they were just like no there's no way this could be real when we were just like, God, we did this because you told us to. And, like, what's happening? <laughs> um, and part of the reason why, even with Heaven is for Real, it was a New York Times bestseller for, I think, around 72 weeks or something like that, where it was number one. And, like, all of a sudden, everything just kind of fell off and part of the reason was there was a story back in 2015 where there was another heaven story where this kid basically came out and said i made it all up like none of it was real and it kind of sucked because in the interview, he even said, and everybody else has had a heaven experience. That's fake, too. So not only that, there was a bit of a hit from that. But um, one of the news agencies here, or 
I think one of the papers, basically they wrote an article talking about this story. And it was either the Washington Post or Washington Journal, I don't know. It was one of them. Had Washington in it. And basically the person who wrote the article, what they did is when they made it, or when they made the piece, they actually put it on um, the front page because this was big news. But instead of putting a picture of the actual family, they put a picture of my dad and I and it said, Boy from Heaven, Recant's Story. Um, and in the article it said, now, it really wasn't the Burpos. It was actually this family, but how many people do you know that when they see something like that, they're actually going to pick up a magazine and read the article? I think I remember seeing that article, actually, at some point. Like, I've heard people discuss it, and, yeah, it's... I, I, I suppose that's... in. <laughs> I suppose it's a marketing technique, is it, for them? The, so, yeah. it... That part kind of sucked, not going to lie. Just because after that, um, of course, with Heaven is For Real, it started to get pulled from stores, but that was because people were complaining about it. Um, I've even had to have that question with a lot of people where they're like, well, didn't you make it all up? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And for the family and for the boy that did have the story, I pray for them like, that must suck. Like, just praying for them that, yeah, they they can kind of come back from that. But just the kind of hits or the toll that it's taken on me and my family, it's been a bit rough. But the one thing that I'm very grateful for is every time that we kind of hit a low or every time it gets really hard, what we pray or what we try and figure out is, okay, God, help us to refocus. Why are we doing this? Because if we were doing this to become famous, if we were doing this to be well-known, to help ourselves, we would have quit a long time ago. But the fact that with this book, with this movie, with this ministry, it's impacted so many people. It's helped so many people. It's been around the world helping people. Just focusing on the positive rather than the negative and seeing, okay, God, you're still using our story. You're still using us to help people. Yeah, it's it's definitely the book which I've lent to the most people who want to read it. And, you know, I'll always remember I was in um, primary school, so I must have been about nine or ten, and I was reading the book. And the teacher asked me what it was about and then asked if she could borrow it and gave it back to me about a day later having read the whole thing. Like, it was just... so. Yeah, it's 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 definitely had a, a much larger positive effect among the communities I've seen here than it has negative, but I've definitely heard people talk about that story and how they be uh, believed it was connected to you as well. Um, uh, so to go back into the film, we have... Uh, you talking to the press about uh, Jesus having markers, um, which is a bit which I, I remember really strongly from the book and from the story. Uh, so did did that come about with the press, or was that something that came about with you talking to? Well, that was more something that came about with me and my dad talking, because what I was when I was describing Jesus to my dad, 
Um, one thing that I would say is, yeah, Jesus had markers. Jesus had markers. And my dad was like, Jesus had markers. What, what do you mean? He had markers. So then finally, after I said it, I don't know how many times my dad's like, Colton, where were Jesus's markers? And at the time I was playing with toys, I basically dropped my toys and I went, well, right here, right here. And then pointed to the tops of my feet. And then my dad was like, oh, that's what Colton is meaning. Because to a little kid, he would, like, I wouldn't say, yeah, Jesus had wounds from a nail in his hands and his feet. It was just, Jesus had markers. Um, so then we've got a Cassie punches two kids for making fun of you. And we've got that great uh, dialogue across the dinner table in that scene. Um, and then we've got you trying to describe what Jesus looked like, but struggling to find a picture to match it, which we discussed at the start. Um, and there's a brief discussion where Todd starts to wonder whether your image of Jesus is based on your image of him and Sonia. Uh, was that any discussion that was thought that was had, or is that one of those things which was added? Um, I think that may have been something added, just to kind of talk about that question that some people may have had like well what if what he saw was like his parents just because there's some people that believe that after this life everybody experiences their own form of heaven or when you die you experience what you want to or they were thinking nah the drugs were just playing with his mind but no that i think that was put in there just to kind of answer that question or kind of acknowledge that there are other views which I think is great um, then we've got Todd and Sonia go out for a meal and the church talk with Todd about where they are as a church and this is where we have a conversation with the character of Nancy with her not liking the image of uh, heaven um, so what was Nancy someone that you knew or was um, so with a lot of the characters outside of my family, they were mixtures or combinations of real life people that we knew. And the reason for that was because we didn't use people's real names and the whole movie was actually shot in Canada, not in the United States. The reason that Sony did that is to basically cover themselves because for characters in a movie, um, Everybody has to sign like a form or a waiver basically saying, yeah, you can represent me. However, if they do not like how they are represented in the film, they can try and sue no matter how accurate their characters actually represented. If they don't like it, they could try and sue Sony and get a lot of money. So basically, they were trying to cover themselves saying, no, we're not gonna, we're going to avoid that. But with the character of Nancy, um, I'm not really sure if she was actually based on a real-life character. Um, Jay, my dad's friend, he was. But Nancy, I think she was kind of inserted into the film as another talking point or another viewpoint. Where she was that person in the church that was a bit more cynical, like, I don't know if this is true. Like, how could this be true? How could this happen to you? Like, just proposing questions like that, 
And even with films like this, there's always has to be that little antagonize or someone antagonizing the main characters. Otherwise, you're going to lose interest pretty fast. Like if we were just telling our story and we didn't share some of the struggles we had to go through, we didn't share the hard stuff we've had to go through. And even sometimes the people that have come against us, it makes it seem that, oh, this story's too perfect. Like, there's no way this could be real. So by including Nancy in that viewpoint, it was like, oh, well, this could really happen then. I love that your antagonists are other members of the church as well, because it's it's such a cliche with Christian films. I mean, even to blatantly name one, which... I, mean, I don't know what your view on it, on it is, but there's the Christian film God's Not Dead. And in that, that's one of those which has gone on to a lot of uh, criticism for the fact that the villains in it are atheists. And how that then has the effect on if someone was atheist or agnostic watching the film, they're not likely to go, you know what, there's something in this Christianity because they're going to see their, themselves as villains. Well, And so I like the fact that you've got Christians and atheists who are the... Uh, the other side of the story well the thing about god's not dead at least the main antagonist of the movie uh the college professor the thing that just kind of looking into that the thing about him is he used to be a part of the church and what ended up happening is either something didn't happen the way he wanted it to i think it was around his mom dying when he was just praying, God, please heal her, God, please heal her, and he didn't. So instead of kind of going back to, okay, who is God, who am I? Basically for the bad thing that happened, he ended up just blaming God and was like, no, God, you're wrong. They're, you're not even real. And in that sense, uh, they did take an honest look at someone that may have gotten into Christianity or someone that grew up inside of the church but never had a true encounter with Jesus that they don't really know. No, this is this is the real deal. Like, this is awesome. But just because they never had that real encounter, they end up becoming one of the more deadly things to happen to Christianity, if I didn't even say that. But I feel like, a lot of people that interact with the church but never get to interact with Jesus or never interact yeah. with God, there's some of the ones that are like the biggest enemies or the ones that try pointing out try pointing out, no, there's flaws in the church because of this, 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 and this. And even with people that have that viewpoint, they actually read the Bible more than people inside of church to try and disprove it. Like, mm. I don't... Yeah, I think the thing with um, God's Not Dead for me is it's a Christian film made for Christians, whereas I feel Heaven is for Real is a Christian film made for general audiences. And the same thing with films like Breakthrough, films like uh, Miracles from Heaven. Like I, I can feel a lot more that general audiences will get something out of that, whereas God's Not Dead and a few others, I can't think of any of them on top of my head, but there's, there's some Christian films which I as a Christian definitely enjoy, but I as a film reviewer and as a general audience member sort of find where people would have problems with it yeah there's there's a few that i've even seen recently or just throughout my life that i'm like oh yeah that's great 
like fireproof um courageous um there's one that just came out um gosh i can't remember it at the moment but basically the same people that made fireproof and courageous they made a new movie and it's about a cross-country runner which to a christian it's like kind of made for us like all the references some of the humor it's i think it's a funny film and it does kind of just show real life but to someone that's not a christian it's like what is this like yeah so yeah and that's one thing that we do try and make it about our story where we don't want it to be a stereotypical christian story because right when stuff like that happens some people just turn off right away like one thing i've noticed for myself is whenever i'm talking with people i don't go up to random people and say do you know who jesus is or do you know where you're going to go when you're going to die because for some people that puts them like on the yeah what are you saying like what are you trying to do here but when i open up the conversation with yeah i've been to heaven instead of people like putting up walls or like oh you're one of those when i say yeah i've been to heaven they're like really well what's it like like it gives a completely different approach to it that i've seen work pretty well where it's just like yeah i've been to heaven this is what it's like i tell them and then after that i even say and this is how you get to heaven and even though that approach does not end every single time in a salvation or someone that gets born again it's like what i do is i pique their curiosity and then what i pray about is okay god i started i believe you're gonna take it from here and just for our listeners i believe the film you were talking about earlier is overcomer yes overcomer Uh, um and so i'll flash a bit forward into the film to uh, when you're talking with Todd about pop, um, which I think is is definitely one of the m- most memorable parts of the film and the book. There, um, I think it's a bit that was used in the trailer for the film, and it's it's. Uh, so, what memories do you have of of seeing pop in heaven? Yeah. So, when I was in heaven, um, if I wasn't with Jesus, I was with Pop because he was taking care of me. And he also was taking care of my sister, which she was miscarried before I was born. So she's in between my oldest sister, Cassie, and me. And the cool thing about heaven is it's just a really awesome place. Um, And one thing before I talk about heaven with anybody... Or even just get into sharing stuff. What I like doing is giving people three things to think about. Just because it almost like gives a little bit of a box for them to kind of look into. Because if you don't include those borders, then it's just everywhere. And because heaven's awesome, but it doesn't make sense to us a lot of the times. So my first point is keep it simple. Because when I was in heaven, I saw it as a kid. And I try and keep that spirit or kind of that verbiage, just 
talking about matter effect. This is what I saw. This is what it is. And not getting lost in all the... Basically, not getting lost in all the super churchy sayings that I could use. Because I'm talking with people that may not know anything about church. Second is think of heaven as a city that never stops growing. Because with heaven, it's big enough for everybody, but not everybody makes it into heaven. Like, I've had some people ask me, well, what happens if heaven runs out of room? And it's an honest question, but I just look at them and I'm like, well, when the creator of everything is sitting at the center of heaven, he probably doesn't even have to look a direction and then there's more room. Like, it's good. There's room. And they'll, you'll never run out of room in heaven. But then the third thing, and this is the thing that I basically just stick on talking about with a lot of people, is think of heaven as a perfect version of earth. Um, it's not like the Tom and Jerry cartoons where you're just sitting on a cloud playing a harp and singing the whole time. In heaven, there's actually stuff to do. Like there's people, there's animals, there's angels. There's also grass, there's trees, there's buildings. In heaven, there's more colors than there are down here. Like, it's beautiful. And not only that, but there's also food in heaven. Like, when I was up there, I ate a lot of pizza and mac and cheese because it was my favorite food at the time. Might still be my favorite food today. <laughs> but it's cool because in heaven, like... The best way how I can describe it is it's home. Like, uh, while I was up there, I got to interact with, of course, um, God the Father, Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. But also I got to be with my great-grandpa, Pop, my sister. And then I also got to meet characters from the Bible. So like Samson, King David... The apostles Peter and John, Mary, Jesus' mom, John the Baptist, and then the archangels Michael and Gabriel. It's like, it was cool. Um, but not only that, but one thing I do remember about the archangel Michael, um, in heaven you can tell a difference between the people and the angels. And that's because the angels are a lot bigger than people. So for... Everybody in heaven, everyone in heaven except for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they have wings. So you have wings and they're like the big wings so that you can actually fly. But everybody has wings. Everybody's wearing white, almost like a white robe. But then everybody also has like a light above their heads. It's not really a halo, but more of like a flame. And the cool thing about angels is they do... Some of them do look like humans, but they're a lot bigger. And when I was younger, I used my dad as a measuring stick because I didn't know, oh, that's a meter tall. Or here in the U.S., that's six feet tall. Like, so with my dad, um, he's about six, 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 seven. I don't really know what that is and. The metric system, because over here in America, we're weird. Now, we, we still use feet sometimes. I can picture that. Awesome. <laughs> but basically, for a normal angel, is about one and a half times the size of my dad. 
And then the Archangel Gabriel, he's a little bit bigger than them. And then the Archangel Michael, he's twice the size of my dad. And then the cool thing about him is his flaming sword. Now, the blade of the sword is as tall as my dad. The handle is as long as his arm, which I'm about the same size as my dad now. And the cool thing about it is it's always on fire. And I remember as a kid, I walked up and I'm like, can I have one? <laughs> you do get told no in heaven. They said I would be too dangerous with it. But it's cool because in heaven, I was able to play with animals. Like up there, they have dogs, cats, lions, giraffes, bears. Like almost every animal we have down here on earth is up in heaven. And I was able to play with a lion like you would a dog or a cat. Like, you can't do that down here without getting seriously injured. So in heaven, there's no sin. Like, I do describe it as a perfect version of earth because it's perfect. Not only that, with people in heaven. And that's kind of what we talk about with pop. But the people in heaven, they're young, like in their prime. They're healthy. And the reason for that is because aging didn't really come until after we sinned, after we got separated from God. So in heaven, where there's no sin, everybody's young, they're healthy, nobody needs glasses, nobody needs anything to help them to walk around with, and nobody gets sick, nobody is sad. Nobody gets hurt. And not only that, but also kids in heaven. Because when I was up there, I didn't just automatically become an adult. I was still a kid. And with my sister that I met in heaven, the cool thing about her is she was a little bit bigger than me, but not as big as my oldest sister, Cassie. So she looked like she would down here. So the kids in heaven, if they are miscarried, if they're aborted, or if they die at a young age, God basically sees them as innocent and just takes them to heaven. And then they they grow up in heaven. So it's cool because even when I met my sister, everybody else I met when I was in heaven. But when I first got to heaven, that's one thing different about the movie. Um, they showed it where Jesus took me to like this park and then I met my sister. In real life, what happened is... When that angel flew me to heaven, he set me down on a road just outside of heaven. I was about ready to walk in. And then that's when this little girl just came running out. And then she gave me this giant old bear hug. And at the time, I was a three-year-old boy, and I believed in cooties. So I just kind of, why are you hugging me? Stop. But then finally, when she let go, she told me who she was, and I allowed the hugs after that. But... It's cool because with our family members that are waiting for us in heaven, they know when we're going to get there, and they're waiting at the gate. Like, the one thing she was telling me is, I'm, I'm your sister, and I'm just so happy someone from my family is finally here. And yeah, it's, um, I think, I believe we go back to, I think that happens later on when, yeah, you talk about two sisters, uh, I don't think there's really two no the only notes i got in between are about nancy so we might as well get to that point um and i mean do you think that part was portrayed quite well in the film in terms of you telling sonia about it 
yes and no. Yes, in the fact that the after effect, like when both my parents are kind of just interacting after that, like we have a baby girl in heaven, like that's awesome. Or that basically provided them a lot of healing because one thing that the Bible isn't really clear on, um, or at least like word for word, it doesn't say if your baby dies in the womb, God takes them to heaven. Like it's not stated. And the, the only reason or the only place where it's even close is in book of, I think it's second Samuel or basically the story of David and Bathsheba where after they slept together, their first kid, after the kid was born, God ended up taking the kid. So it was like, okay, so babies at that age, because David said something like, my my child cannot be with me, but one day I will go to be with my child. So people have taken that as, okay, so if a kid dies, they go to heaven. But when they're in the womb, it's like, I don't know. So... The cool thing about that is it's provided healing for a lot of people that have had miscarriages or abortions. Just like, okay, my baby's in heaven. God adopted him. And they're going to be waiting for me. However, one thing that is different from the film is my mom was a lot more calm in the film, how she handled it. Um, In real life, she was doing like paperwork instead of folding laundry. But I remember, similar to the movie, I just skipped into the room. My dad was around the corner, like, with how our living room was set up. You could see what was going on if you were in the kitchen in the living room. And I basically just came in, and I'm like, Mom, I have two sisters. And she was like, okay, cool. And I'm like, no, Mom, I have two sisters. And Finally, she put down paperwork was like, well, do you mean your cousins? Do you mean some of Cassie's friends? Like, what do you mean you have two sisters? And I'm like, no, mom, you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? And what ended up happening is similar to the movie where my mom gets really silent, like, who told you? And I just went, oh, well, she did, mommy. And after that, I made the mistake of trying to leave the room where I just skipped right back out of the room because I was like, okay, I've shared my thing. Cool. Now, I have gotten in trouble because even though I went to heaven, I came back. I'm no angel. I'm not perfect. It's awesome. But even though I've gotten in trouble, I'm not sure if I've really ever heard my full name shouted as loud as that, I remember basically mom stood up and was like, Colton Todd Burpo, you do not say something like that and walk away. You get back here right now. And then my dad tells this part a little bit better than I do because he's like, yeah, I basically looked at my dad. I was like, help. And my dad's response was just basically, you're on your own. And I don't know. I don't know how I can help you here. So I kind of just tiptoed back in the room. Was like, it's okay, mommy. It's okay. God adopted her. And then finally, when I made it to my mom, my mom's on her knees, just looking at me right in the eyes, and like, no, you mean Jesus adopted her? I'm like, no, his dad did. 
And by this time, my dad walked over and was with my mom, and they were crying because they didn't know they had a daughter waiting for them in heaven. Because when the miscarriage happened, it was two months along in the pregnancy. So they knew they had a kid. They didn't know the gender. But basically, after that, my dad asked me, well, Colton, what was her name? And I went, well, she doesn't have a name. That's your job, Dad. And that is kind of a joking thing we have going on at our house or at our, in our family because my parents can't agree on what they want to name her. Um, my dad wants to name her Kelsey, and my mom wants to name her Caitlin with a C because my mom wants all the kids to have Cs. And, yeah, so... It's been kind of funny, just kind of that back and forth, because after they learn, oh, we have a daughter in heaven, what are we going to name her? Since they haven't really been able to decide, they basically came up with, all right, whoever gets to heaven first gets to name her. (laughs) But it's been awesome because with that side of our story, that's probably been one of the, one of the positives of this story, because We've been able to talk with a lot of people. We've been able to almost provide them that hope or that healing that, yeah, your kid's going to be okay. God's got them, and they're going to be waiting for you. And we've had people write into us. People contact us, and they're like, hey, thank you because you were able to share that because you were able to talk about that. It provided us with a lot of healing, and people that have had miscarriages or even people that have had abortions, a lot of them aren't really public saying, look at what I did. I just had a miscarriage. That's, that's a really personal hurt that, um, for people that do go out and say, I've had miscarriages, I've had abortions. I pray for them because that, that hurts. Like, and Yeah, there's just something that happens when you don't get to hold that kid. You don't get to hold that baby. But it's provided a lot of healing to a lot of people. Even to some close friends that it was almost like we didn't know who to talk with because we weren't sure who's had a miscarriage before. And we didn't know how to seek counseling for that. But then also because we've been the ones that have stepped out and said, hey, Our family's had a miscarriage. We know where our kid is, and this is how we've gone through healing. We've been able to share that with a lot of people. And that's one of the reasons why we continue to do ministry, because we get to do stuff like that. Yeah, that that is wonderful. Um, We tend... The last couple of notes on the film is... uh, uh, radio presenter phones Todd and tells and he tells him to come to church to hear the story, and then Todd preaches a story about heaven. Uh, was that uh, was, was there, there like one specific, specific sermon that happened? Or was Not really. Yeah. Um, there may have been times where my dad would have me either talk with people or do things like that, but there wasn't really a specific set sermon. Like, okay, if you want to hear about this, come to our church service. That was more of the movie kind of tying up loose ends like okay to all of you that have questions to all of you that maybe not even believe it to some of you that want to disprove it come and 
hear the story. Like, one thing that we recommend to a lot of people is if you want to get the full story, read the book. Um, and the cool thing is with Heaven is for Real, at least our ministry or whatever, we actually have five books. But a lot of people really only know about Heaven is for Real. But we have another book entitled Heaven Changes Everything. So Heaven Changes Everything is the second book. Um, now, it used to have a yellow and white cover, but now it has an orange cover. And what it is, is it's basically, we wrote that a year after Heaven is for Real. So when we would go out and talk with people, speak with people, they would have questions. So in Heaven Changes Everything, that's basically the part two or the rest of the story. So answering some people's questions. Um, my mom writes about a third of the book, so you get her perspective on some of the stuff, including the miscarriage. But also some things about heaven I share in this book that I didn't share in the first book because as I got older, I got more words, and I sounded like a different kid, but I wasn't. I was just older, so I knew how to describe stuff better. Yeah. So some heaven stuff is included in Heaven Changes Everything that's not in Heaven is for Real. But then we have two kids' books, Heaven is for Real for Kids and Heaven is for Real for Little Ones. And what that was is my dad and I, we worked with an illustrator, and basically we just focused on heaven. Bless you. We didn't talk about the hospital or anything afterwards. The whole, the whole goal of our kids' books was to make heaven not a scary place for kids. Because a lot of people, the only times they talk about heaven is at funerals, which, yeah, it's, it's a bit interesting. But the goal of the story, yeah, was to make heaven not a scary place. And we've heard how people have used this story where instead of it being, okay, you have a, let's say a grandparent that passes away. And yeah, you're sad about it, but some people have used it in a way of, they read Heaven is for real for kids with their their kids, and they're like, okay, what do you think grandma and grandpa are doing today in heaven? Because in heaven, there is stuff to do. Nobody's bored in heaven. Like, I'm not exactly sure what the adults got to do, but as a kid, I had to go to school in heaven. Like, school is inescapable. Even in death, you do have to go. But on the plus side, Jesus was my teacher. So, What sort of stuff were you taught then? While you're in That's the thing. I don't remember. Like, I know I went to school, I know I was taught things, but specifically what I was taught, I I don't remember. I remember conversations I had with Jesus, um, two of them vividly, and I know I talked with Jesus, like, he was teaching me stuff, and I believe that as I get older, as basically when God wants it to happen, he's going to let me remember some of those things. Um, but yeah. And then the last book that we wrote, um, my dad wrote it, and it got released in 2017. And this one is a bit different, where it's titled God is for Real. And the whole point of God is for Real, it's a blue book. And it just talks about, of the seven years that we've been doing ministry... Hard questions people have asked that maybe 
the church as a whole doesn't want to answer. They try to avoid some topics or even just hard conversations we've had with people. Because when we go out, we we get to deal with a lot of hard stuff. But in this book, my dad kind of approaches it as, okay, I'm trying to explain God to people. And he doesn't approach it as preacher Todd, but as fireman Todd, where he's very matter of fact. He doesn't try really sugarcoating anything, but he even talks about how over the years, this is how I've discovered who God is. And we share it through the Bible, through personal experience, and through common sense, because that's important when you're thinking about God, like he gave us common sense. But, yeah, with that book, that one's not as well-known. But that one basically is almost the why. Like, Heaven is Real is the story. This is our testimony. This is what we share with people. This is the hope of heaven. With God is Real, it's like, okay, here's some questions you may be having about God, about heaven, about Jesus. Let's try and answer them. Let's try and come at it in a real way so that you can understand um just out of interest how, how was the jump from heaven back to earth was that quite a hard uh... um the initial jump not that hard what happened is jesus walked up to me and said colton i'm sending you back because i'm answering your dad's prayer and that's when i came back like i didn't really have a say in the matter uh if I had to choose, I would have stayed in heaven. Like, heaven is a perfect place where there's no sin, there's no evil, there's no wrong. And one thing that I've had to struggle with just kind of my whole life is the fact that I've experienced what perfect is like. And now I'm here. Um, and even just with my walk with God, it's been hard sometimes because I'm very hard on myself where it's like, why are you doing the wrong thing? Like, you have to experience what the right thing is. Why are you doing that? Um, so just kind of working my way through that and learning, okay, even though heaven is perfect, I've gotten to see heaven, I am nowhere near perfect, and I need Jesus just as much as anybody. And just coming to that realization of just, God, I need you. And not only that, but just being able to kind of recognize either when those thoughts or stuff like that comes up, it's like, no, I, God, I'm turning away from this stuff. I don't want this junk in my life. I want you. And not only that, but instead of kind of going into a mentality of, oh, woe is me, Everything is wrong in my life. What God has helped me to do is see it more as, no, I'm a messenger from God. I'm sent from heaven to earth to share about the hope of heaven. And not only that, but I'm sent to share. This is how you get to heaven. This is who Jesus is. And one cool thing about that is... There's a conversation I remember having with Jesus where he told me, Colton, this is how you get to heaven. If you love me and follow me, 
My dad's okay with that. And the thing I enjoy about that is Jesus kept it so simple that a three-year-old can understand it. And really, that's all that you need to do. You love Jesus and you follow him. And I believe that for Christians or for people that put their trust or their faith in Jesus, if you truly love Jesus, people are going to notice. Like, you're going to be able to tell, oh yeah, that person loves Jesus. Because in today's society and our culture today, you can kind of identify with anything or you can say, yeah, I'm that not really be it like even with our book god is for real we talk about that where it's like the question that someone asked is i don't like church people is that okay because sometimes the meanest and the nastiest people you will ever encounter are within the four walls of a church and the thing that we bring up is yeah People in church need Jesus just as much as people outside of church. And the parallel that my dad kind of brings up is, well, just think about back in the Bible, the people who practice religion, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all of the C's. Basically, they knew about church. For them, it was the temple. It was the synagogue. They knew how it operated. They knew how to make it work awesome. But the problem was is they weren't focused on the right thing. And because of that, when Jesus himself was standing with them, standing in front of them, speaking with them, they didn't accept him. Like, their hearts were hard and they were just like, no, we don't like you. We're going to kill you. Like, so... In that sense, the thing that we also talk with people about is if you've been hurt by the church, we're sorry. Like, we're not, we're nowhere near perfect. And for some people that we've talked with, it's almost as if the church, whereas instead of it being a safe place where they can come saying, hey, I'm hurting. Hey, I've done this. I need some help. Instead of getting that help, the church has kind of gone, we don't deal with that here. We need to, yeah, we're, we're going to just say you can't come here anymore. But that's, that's not what the church is about. Now, I do believe there is a set, like, there is such a thing as absolute truth. The Bible is absolute truth. What's in the Bible is true. It's God's word. But... What we as Christians or as the church, what we need to be careful of is we still need to love the person even if we don't agree with them. Like learning how to interact with people, be friends with people that you may not agree with. Like it's kind of, that's the whole goal of Christianity. We just show people, hey, I follow Jesus and instead of people actually hearing like, oh, you're a Christian, them seeing your life and how you lead it, them seeing how you interact with people, that's what will lead people to Jesus. So that's what will lead people 
to God is us. And we'll never get it perfect, but it's honest. Yeah, and just for uh, completionism's sake, we've got a short epilogue scene at the at the end, which I don't really. I think we've touched on everything that's there. We've got um, Todd showing you the drawing of Jesus and recognizing it, and then we've got that Sonia was pregnant with Colby before we uh, conclude. We have a segment normally on this show where I ask um, the guest to if they had to retitle the film, what would they call it? <laughs> Obviously, this is based on the book where I believe you had the title originally, but were there any other titles that you would possibly have thought of or given the book or film? Um, Personally, I wouldn't, just because, in a way, I was the one that named it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of funny how the name came about, because the original title that my dad wanted to give it was Heaven by Four, and... Though I think that that could have been something, um, when we were talking with one of the book agents and they were trying to figure out, okay, this is what we want the book to look like, this is what we think it's going to feel like, like everything like that, they asked me the question and they were like, Colton, what do you want people to know? And my answer was, I just want people to know that heaven is real. <laughs> and that's... How the name came about and for me i i believe that that's probably one of the best titles because it's enough of a title that for people that maybe inside the church are like oh yeah heaven is real cool let's read about that but then you have people outside of church that may see that they're like heaven is for real like what's that about and then they get to pick up the book, they read it, and they're like, oh, awesome. So I would keep it the same. Yeah, um, you mentioned earlier, and I meant to ask you, uh, when you were talking about people in heaven um, having wings and everything, were you as one of them, or were you there as a visitor? So were, were you there with, with, with wings? wings mm -hmm. Oh, I had wings. Thought, like, yeah. The cool thing is, in heaven... I've had some people ask me, like, are there cars in heaven? And I, I don't remember if they were or not. But I remember for me, when I got to walk around or get to places, I could either walk or I could fly. And when I was playing with kids in heaven, like, when you're playing tag and you can fly, that's, like, that's awesome. But, yeah, in heaven, I also had one of those bodies. Um, And so... I've just had a look at the time. Right, uh, where can our listeners find you on social media? Social media. So, for me, I do have an Instagram where it's just Colton59. Um, we also have a an Instagram for our ministry that's not really as big. We're trying to figure out what we want it to look like but it's just on instagram it's heaven is for real official and also for facebook we have a heaven is for real account um but yeah when it comes to social media for me um i'm not sure if you've talked with my dad at all or about it but my dad 
completely not on social media. Like, he personally doesn't like it. Uh, my mom, on the other end, loves social media on it a lot. And kind of with the three kids, my sister, my brother, and I, we're kind of like in the middle, depending on where we're at. Me, I'm sometimes more leaning towards my dad's side, where it's like, oh, if I were to delete Instagram and just not look back, I'd be okay. But I'm kind of learning that, no, I need to keep this, just because with social media as a whole, it can be used for bad or it can be used for good. And someone who described it to me, it was almost like, with social media, it's almost like a knife. The person that can use it, they can either take it to go rob a bank or rob somebody or they can take it they can use it to like cook bread cut bread and give it to people who are hungry like social media in itself isn't bad how you use it that's the thing that you need to be careful of and for me i'm just in the process of learning okay how do i use social media because yeah i'm i'm not really big into it but those are the ways that you can kind of see what's happening in our lives um so heaven is for real. We have one on Facebook. We have an Instagram account, and then for me personally, it's just Colton fifty nine. All right, brilliant. And for our listeners, they can find this show on most podcast platforms. On Facebook, please be seated. On Twitter, please be tweeted. If you excuse the pun, uh, you can find uh, me on Twitter. I think it's like llama underscore bottle zero or something. And all of my social media podcasts, short films, radio appearances can all be available at lukeallen.co.uk. Uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on here, Colton. It's been amazing speaking to you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. You're welcome. It was, it was glad to be here. And that marks the end of Please Be Seated Season 2. Thank you so much to everyone who's taken their time to listen to these episodes. It, I really appreciate it. Um, so sorry it's taken so long. Those of you following me on social media will know I've been really busy with my latest short film, Unstable. And that some of the episodes this season of Please Be Seated were recorded nearly a year ago. And so some of the references are probably outdated. But it's been uh, it's been good fun. I currently don't have any plans or anything set for season three, but hopefully this isn't the end. Um, it's been great, and uh, please stay seated uh, for more, whether it's in the form of this or in the form of short films or whatever. Um, thank you so much, uh, and thanks so much to all the guests this season and last season. Yeah, I won't ramble, but cheers. Thanks a lot, uh, and... Goodbye. Please Be Seated is a Luke Allen podcast. For more podcasts, appearances and short films, visit lukeallen.co.uk.